You're listening to Sustainably Geeky, the podcast for everyday environmentalists. Hello and welcome to Sustainably Geeky, episode 12. My name's Jennifer and I'm joined today by Chris. Hello. All the way in Canada. And Thomas Jelly, who is coming to us from Finland. Hello. So we have a truly international show going on today, um, and we have a really exciting topic, I think. Um, we're going to be talking about workplace sustainability, and Thomas is kind of an expert in this area. He has a lot of experience, so I'm going to go ahead and jump on into his introduction and let him talk a little more about himself, and then we will start talking about uh, workplace sustainability. Um, so for more than a decade since leaving legal practice in London, Thomas has worked in the field of corporate responsibility. His international experience has included environmental sustainability, diversity and inclusion, employee and stakeholder engagement, sustainability benchmarking and reporting. So Thomas, can you expand on that a little and tell us what all that means and, and what you're doing um, to help promote work, workplace sustainability across the world? <laughs> Jennifer, hello again. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's great to be with you on this Sustainably Geeky chat show. And Chris, good to meet you too. You as well. Thank you so much for being on. (laughs) Hey, it's a pleasure. My pleasure. So look, about 15 years ago, I was working away as a lawyer in London and uh, it kind of dawned on me as I was working on a few cases that actually what really got me motivated, what really interested me was corporate responsibility. And this is the, the idea that uh, you know, businesses, corporations, they don't exist in a vacuum. They exist in the context of society and communities. And society and communities in turn exist in this bigger thing we call the environment, the ecosystem, ultimately the planet. And really companies depend on healthy society and healthy communities and healthy communities depend on healthy environments and ecology, and they're all linked together. But in the end, we all rely on the environment, no matter how clever we are as a species, no matter how amazing our business is, without the air of our planet, the water, the trees, uh, the pollen, the rivers, the lakes, without all these things that sustain life on Earth, no matter how clever we are, there's nothing we can do on our own. So we kind of better look after them. And that might be in our private lives, but it also includes our public administrations and our businesses. And so my route really into you know, the world of corporate responsibility was the realization of how important the connections between all these things are. And if we ignore them, we do ourselves a really, really, really big um, problem. So we got to keep our eye on it, no matter what we do, no matter what kind of organization in it. And uh, we need to keep on focus, make all these things work together. Absolutely. So um, you you shifted to this field and uh, have been working with organizations trying to help them realize, you know, the importance of this, of like you said, of the environment, how it, it interacts with everything um, and also, you know, just make a bigger impact, I guess, um, by reaching these organizations. Because I think a lot of times we try to make changes in our own lives um, and we do as much as we can, but overall those changes a lot of times are, are have a very small impact when you look at the bigger picture. If we all do something, obviously it makes a big difference. But um, the businesses are really 
where you know you're going to see the biggest bang for your buck i guess yeah i think i think that's right i think increasingly that's true um you know if you think about uh, governments at national level they get voted in for four years five years depending on where you live and then they might change and get replaced by people with a different view but businesses they don't change completely every four to five years they're able to take long-term views you know obviously if, if they get their employees on board if they get their shareholders on board if they get their supply chains on boards i'm really convinced that business has a huge role to play in the sustainability agenda and that's recognized through things like the united nations sustainable development goals to 2030 they realize the humongous role that business has to play of course in collaboration with with governments and administrations also ngos but businesses, providers of services, goods, employers of people, innovators, they can be a really big engine for growth. I say can be. It doesn't happen <laughs> automatically. You have to work at it. You have to want it. Yeah, I think it's interesting um, in countries like the United States, for instance, where you're seeing government that is not uh, – doing a lot to lead in the area of sustainability and, and is not pro-environment in a lot of ways, um, that you are seeing a lot of businesses step up. Um, you are seeing a lot not step up and, and, of course, taking advantage of the system. But it is encouraging when I hear stories about these organizations that are um, doing the right thing and that are trying to, you know, maintain their parents, the Paris Climate, Climate Agreement and um, even more than that. And you're seeing cities do that and, and pockets of, of um, greatness happening. But um, is that enough, you think? Do you think if we can get all the businesses on board, it's going to make the difference we need to get that two degrees down? Or <laughs> well, I, I know that's, that's the million dollar question, right? <laughs> I think it can make a huge difference. You know, no matter what the size of the organization is, we get up, you know, we get up, we go to work, we take our values with us to work. We hope there is alignment between our personal values and the values of what we do every day in our work, and I think it can make a huge difference. Why? For a start, it gives us hope. It gives us the belief that we can come together in the workplace and make changes. I think the US is an incredible example of innovation, of new technology, of pushing regulation forwards in the really progressive states. And that has an impact on people. It says to them, yes, we are on this together. We can make a difference. And it gives people, you know, an awful lot of hope. And I think the workplace is incredibly important because, you know, it's the workplace that helps to give us purpose and meaning to our everyday activities. Of course, our families do as well. But, you know, how we make a living, that's hugely important. And when we have alignment between personal values around sustainability and where we work, that is hugely empowering. It says to each one of us, you know, in the workplace, just as at home, you can make a difference. And it can be with the really small stuff, right? It could be with things like I don't know, office recycling. But then from there, you can move to the biggest stuff, like relationship with stakeholders, relationship with your supply chain, relationship with your clients. And these are things like, you know, when you're buying something as a business, whether it's a service or a product, and you're looking at your supply chain, you have the ability to say, hey, Mr. Mrs. Supply Chain, these are the things that are important to us. Let's make these changes, make our supply chain cleaner, more efficient, better. Look in the other direction and you say to your clients, to your customers, hey, this is what we're doing in our supply chain. Does this ring a note with you? Does this ring a bell with you? Does this fit into your values? And we can make sustainability something that is not only attractive, 
but something that is normal in our businesses. And it makes so much sense because so much of it is about efficiency of resources. And let's face it, on one planet, they're limited. <laughs> That's true. Very true. Do you have an example of uh, exactly what you just said? You know, an organization that started small and built up to a much bigger uh, impact and, and eventually, you know, became kind of known for, for this, either one you've worked with or one that you've read a case study on or something? Well, look, I mean, in choosing examples, you've got to choose the brand carefully, right? And I think this is one that you and your listeners are likely to know of, and it's Patagonia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what incredibly strong messaging. You've probably seen the Patagonia literature the same as me. The Patagonia literature goes out there to say, this is a great product. It mm-hmm. is made with sustainability in mind. In the supply chain, in the manufacturing process, it is built to last. Use it and use it and use it. Don't go out in a few weeks' time and buy another one of our products. And that's kind of really interesting. It's almost a surprise. It's almost a paradox that a company says, hey, don't buy one of us every five minutes. But at the same time, it's really smart, right? Mm -hmm. Because you wear that Patagonia piece of apparel. You wear that Patagonia fleece or the jacket you have amazing adventures with it. It kind of becomes part of you. And then when eventually you do need to replace it, you think, ah, oh, there's only one choice for me. It's got to be that brand again. So you're kind yeah. of building up that reputation and brand equity and goodwill with people who will come back. Yeah, you normally see planned obsolescence when, you know, companies put a product out, they want it to to break or they want it to wear out because they want you to buy more but it is interesting with them that they're no actually we're going to keep it out of landfill we're going to repair it or replace it if it breaks down like you said come back to us Um, and you you, you talk about plant obsolescence and that's when things are plans to sort of not last very long and you can't fix them and you can't replace the one part that's gone missing you got to replace the whole thing and but how does that leave you feeling as a consumer it leaves you feeling ah that's naff even (laughs) even though I want to do something about it I want to change the part or I want to fix it or I want to you know update it with a new part I can't and it leaves you feeling kind of empty and I don't know about you frustrated right Mm -hmm. I don't know about you but I then think well hang on I'm going to try a different brand because this is really disappointing so from a business perspective I don't think that makes sense not if your business is about long-term growth and success not if it's about sustainability which means just lasting a long time right yeah i think they're a great example of a company that has uh maintained this reputation over time and even um you know they made the news recently for donating their tax what they would have paid in taxes their tax break um this last year to environmental causes because you know, as a corporation, they got such a huge tax break, which I think was pretty awesome, too. So um, while we're on the topic of, you know, companies putting out messaging that they're sustainable, uh, let's just talk real briefly about greenwashing. <laughs> so <laughs> greenwashing is when a company claims to have green practices or be sustainable. Um, and they're either not, they're just flat out like right lying or they are only in a certain area and then in other areas they're wasteful or they're deceptive about their practices so um yeah. 
what is your experience with this? Because as consumers, it's easy to read a package and say, oh, they're all natural. They're sourcing it, you know, sustainably, blah, blah, blah. But how do we really know? You know, how do we really know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, my experience of this is is kind of mixed. Um, Sometimes you can see straight through it. And then other times it's a little bit more difficult. But what I'd say about greenwashing is this. Um, There are many things we can do in terms of environmental sustainability, but there are very, very few one-size-fits-all solutions, yeah? So let's take a concrete example. You get a company that, say, for example, produces something that you eat or something that you drink, and it says, hey, we have changed our packaging, right? We've changed the material. Instead of, say, having something plastic, we're going to have something that is biodegradable, which is great, right, in terms of the waste. But you still have to ask yourself, what's happening upstream? Yeah. Where's the energy coming from? Where is the product being sourced from? In what conditions is it being produced? What are the working conditions of the people who are in the production cycle? Yep. Cool, change the packaging away from plastics to something like, you know, polylactic acid, which is effectively starch, which biodegrades. And that's fantastic for that bit of the challenge, for the waste bit. But it's still important to think about all the other aspects in the supply chain and the working conditions and get a much broader picture. There are very, very few solutions that hit every single base. And it's up to us as consumers to think about these things, to question ourselves, to question our choices. And only then can we, when we're better informed, start asking our companies to change things in the way they operate. So a lot of the responsibility is up to us. It's easy to point the finger, but we can all get better and more information. Yeah, it's kind of a vicious cycle when you start researching and going backwards uh, as a consumer. You know, you start realizing all the different areas that there could be uh, better practices or or mm-hmm you know, that there's opportunity. So as I've gotten into this sustainability journey, I find myself overwhelmed sometimes because I'm like, everything I use is gonna, you know, (laughs) have a terrible impact and I just need to stop eating and wearing clothes, (laughs) you know, just like stop living and existing. And it's obviously not practical, right? Just just lay here and like, don't do it, don't move. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) obviously that's not practical. Um, and we're going to have an impact. So it's just a matter of how can you have the least impact and be the most informed, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And how, how can we be change makers? You know, we have we have a mission, right? We have a mission. And our mission is to bring change for the better, whether that's in our families, with our friends, in our workplaces, as people who buy goods and services. You know, we're on a mission to bring on positive change. So don't stop, Jennifer. We need you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Um, I think that's an important thing to point out, though, that we're, I know we're talking about workplace sustainability, but we have a consumer responsibility, too. Um, so we can expect these companies to do better, but we also have to make, you know, better shopping habits and make our values known to them. And, you know, you see all these these petitions now, you know, for stop using plastic packaging at Trader Joe's or this store or that store. And, and some of them seem to be working or band straws here or there. But, um, you know, I think it's it's 
a lot of it too is just now that we have social media, people can be more vocal and they can go directly to the companies and other people can hear about it and we can kind of find each other a little easier um, as consumers. Yep. So. And let's not forget that companies themselves are consumers of goods and services and they can make their own purchasing decisions. It's called, you know, supply chain or, or purchasing. So slightly different from buying and being a consumer, but they're the same as us. Yeah, they can make choices in what they buy, just like us. Absolutely. All right. So anything either of you want to add on this topic before we move on? I'm sorry if I'm not saying much of anything. My sister-in-law is opening up a store and I'm helping her with behind the scenes stuff. And it's a a design and home decor store. So I'm just like, I'm I'm a sponge right now, right? I'm taking notes. I'm trying to write down everything so that, cause she's very, very um, interested and in, in being a very sustainably minded, small itty bitty business, but it's really important to her. And so far she's done an amazing job of sourcing really ethical companies that have really great messages. And a lot of the time she's met with the owners of the company and has been able to talk to them, but this is all, this is just wonderful. This is great. Keep going. I'm listening. <laughs> Well, so I kind of want to touch on, um, you mentioned, you know, corporate social responsibility is a big part of, uh, of making these things happen. But how do you create that mindset or that culture in a company that traditionally hasn't um, had an environmental mindset or hasn't seen the value in it? Or maybe you just have people there that aren't visionary enough to understand the importance of it. Um, I'm sure that's a lot of what you do or... <laughs> <laughs> or what you're, you're, you're battling day to day. But um, I guess what are some tips, you know, as an employee, if, if I work somewhere that, that isn't very sustainable or doesn't align with my values, what can I do to start making those incremental changes? And Yeah, well, you know, it, it can be tricky, but I think, I think the best way in is to think, okay, what does this company actually do? What service does it provide? What good as in what product does it provide? And think about that product or that service and imagine the product or service had a voice, yeah? And imagine it could tell its story. This is where I come from. This is where I'm made, if it's a product, right? Or if it's a service, this is a story about the people who deliver the service, you know? Make it personable. Think about it from a person-centric perspective, because ultimately it's people who buy the good or the service. Yeah. So what story would the product tell? Personalize it. What story would the service tell? Try to bring it to life. Yeah. And then the other thing I would think about is who are the stakeholders in this story? Who are the people who are doing the work? Who are the people who are receiving the product? Who are the people who are responsible for putting the products together? Who are the people who benefit from the service? In in the business world, it's it's very easy to think, oh, it's a business. But ultimately, a business is a collection of people, employees. It's a collection of owners or shareholders. And businesses don't have minds. They don't have hearts. Only people do, but ultimately businesses are people. So I think the human story, the human story 
plays to our hearts and plays to the stories that motivate us. Stories are really important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Stories bring us together. They're part of our culture. Stories make us take action. And it's only action that makes our businesses more sustainable. I love that. Definitely, yeah, figuring out a way to personalize things and um, showing the, the value, not only monetary, but the personal value. Because um, I think a lot of times people lose sight of that when they're they're at work or they're, they're thinking about, like you said, a business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... I have a question. Um, some of the suppliers that my sister-in-law has been dealing with, some of them, well, actually most of them don't put out that they are an ethical company, that they are a sustainable company, that they are thinking about all these steps because for them, that's just the way it's supposed to be. For them, it's not a marketing tool. Should they, in this day and age, be using that? We are ethical. We do know where everything comes from. We do know who makes it. We are thinking about the environment in mind because she's also thinking about that too in her in her marketing. Do I just offer my services and my goods and they just happen to be all these things or should she be saying yes, they're all ethically made and I am very concerned about sustainability and who these people are that make that make the things that I want to sell. It's um, it can be a double-edged sword, can't it? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes when you go out there and you say, "Hey, I do all these wonderful things," somebody finds the tiny little chink of yeah. the exception. So I think a lot of it is down to um, a lot of it is down to tone and how okay. you put it out there. So I think a lot of it comes back to telling stories rather than saying. Hey, I'm really shiny and I'm perfect and I'm faultless, <laughs> which mm -hmm. none of us are in the end, really. Um, I think when you can tell, you know, little stories and pepper your business with little stories of people or products or places, I think that helps to bring employees and consumers in, and it helps to share a vibe, an ethic, and it's one way of of avoiding saying, "Hey, I'm perfect." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just we were having that conversation and she was surprised because for her it's a draw. The more the the more she can find out about where the supply the chain of supply comes from, the more she's drawn to it as a purchaser. Um there's been a couple companies where it's been really hard to find that because for that for that company it's not that big of a deal, but for her it's a bit concerning because it's like, well, I there's the transparency that transparency that I would like mm -hmm. isn't there. Well, she's probably not going to buy from them if she doesn't yeah, know that and that's they have Even though if they're a great company, she's like, that's great, but where, where's your transparency? Where is all this coming, cause I'm coming from? And I, for me, too, it's transparency is important um, when it comes to a company. It, it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because, you know, um, with our friends, with our family, um, we don't stand up and say, hey, I'm really ethical. I'm really sustainable. <laughs> Hmm. It's through the conversations we have and the stories that we tell, and it's through the things that we do, our actions, that people get to know us and understanding, and understand us and see something of what motivates us in life. And I think it's a it's a similar kind of thing. It's a very good analogy. <laughs> it's just hard, yeah, sometimes to translate that to 
businesses? Because I think as consumers, we do expect now or at least hope that a company is sustainable. And if they're not, mm-hmm. maybe we'll, you know, oh, maybe I'll go with this company if there's another option. But if there's not another option, we still aren't, you know, we're to that point where everything doesn't have a sustainable option, unfortunately. So we have to kind of go with whatever's there. Um, sure. But yeah, I think I think knowing helps. We're making progress. And in this world where you can find out, uh, you know, more than mission control in the palm of your hand on your mobile, mm-hmm. I think we have uh, better, cheaper access to our purchasing, purchasing decisions than ever before, really. Mm-hmm. Pretty lucky. Absolutely. So one way that I think um, both uh, we as consumers and businesses as purchasers can uh, you know, know these things is through some kind of a certification or, you know, an industry standard. Um, so I know there are a few out there, you know, like there's the lead certification for buildings and there's organic certified um, different parts of the, the world. Um, but what are some, I guess, of the more effective certification programs? Because we even started one where I work at the, at the Chamber of Commerce Um and, and we're, you know, going to be certifying green businesses based on some pra- your practices they implement. But have you found that, you know, stuff to be effective or misleading or what's your, I guess, thoughts on those programs? <laughs> well, there are many certifications out there for all sorts of different things. And in some respects, I look at them as shorthand. It's a shorthand way of saying, yep. This product lives up to certain expectations. For businesses, any sort of business, one of the global standards is called ISO, ISO 14001. And that is the environmental management standard. And what's interesting about ISO 14001 is, you know, unlike, say, fair trade or organic it doesn't certify that you have reached a particular level of performance. It certifies that your business has a management process in place, which enables it to see what the environmental aspects in the business are, see what the impacts are, put a plan in to reduce impact, and then you check whether the plan has been achieved. And what I like about the ISO 14,000 and one standard is that it doesn't certify outcome, it certifies a process. And the process is such that you're meant to go round and round and round time and time again. And every time you complete a round, you're meant to improve. Yeah. So it's almost like, you know, when you go walking in the hills or in the mountains and you think you've reached a summit, but actually as soon as you get there, you see another one, <laughs> and then another one, yeah. and then another one. And you keep on getting higher and higher and higher and the view gets better and better and better. Well, that's a little bit what ISO 14001 is like. It allows you to make continuous process. So continuous progress by following a process. And I think that's great because it leads to continuous improvement. And the idea is that, you know, you can you can be the dirtiest organization ever. But if you put 14,001 in place, the idea is that you go step by step by step by step, continually making progress. And I like that because it kind of 
helps us to make sure that we don't become complacent. Mm -hmm. We're always looking for that next thing that we can do better. So that would be really great for a larger company who wants to do that, but kind of like has nowhere, has no idea where to start. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And even for a small organization, you know, obviously with, with these with these standards like ISO, you have to get certified and you have to get audited. And that requires a certain level of commitment. But you can start small by applying the principles and then think about going in wholesale and getting audited and certified and all the rest of it. Um, I think you're never too small to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, as a consumer, I like the idea of... Uh of an industry or business, you know, certification, just cause it's like mm-hmm. self-regulating and it's, it's a common standard across the board. You, you know what to expect if they're certified in whatever um, they should have X, Y, and Z. And it makes it easier. I think when you don't know what to look for a lot of times. So, um, right. so that's good to know. A- any others that come to mind or any others that are maybe not it, that are misleading and not, uh, what they claim to be when it comes to stuff like this so that, you know, we can well, steer away from those <laughs> as organizations and as individuals. I think it's it's easy to point to, to things that aren't perfect. But I think an awful lot of the standards out there are pretty serious, pretty rigorously tested. And if they weren't, they wouldn't stand the test of time. So I think the thing to look for is standards that have a broad base, that are well-recognized, that are well-respected. They might not be perfect, right? They might not be perfect, (laughs) but they stand for something. So the organic certification, the fair trade certification, they've been around for some time, and it's easy to take pot shots at them, right? But they have really helped to move the needle, to bring attention to the situation of the environment, and of the people who provide anything from coffee, chocolate, tea, bananas, cash crops, and commodities. And they've really helped us as consumers to think that little bit harder about our buying choices and the things that we expect to see from others, including in the workplace. Absolutely. We talked a a bit in our last episode about fast fashion and uh, not only, you know, its impact on the environment, but on the workers that produce the clothes and how a lot of times um, it's cheap because it's made cheaply in terrible conditions. And um, it's, I think it's good that we start keeping that in, the, in, the, in our mind when we are buying yeah. things. That needs to be part of our process. Because these, these things aren't cheap. It's just that we're not paying for them. Right. Somebody else is. Yeah, we're not paying a living wage or for safe conditions. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the cost is it's there somewhere. Even if we don't feel it as the end consumer, the cost is there somewhere, whether it's, you know, the water that went into the cotton T-shirt, whether it's the pesticides that were sprayed on the cotton to keep it pest free, whether it was the working conditions of somebody stitching the cotton together, whether it was the person packing it. There is a cost. There is a cost. But sometimes as consumers, we somehow escape it. We only think about money, not the human cost or the environmental cost. Right. I think a lot of it is that we've been um, kind of told we don't have to worry about it. 
because this we're just seeing the end product right and this is all you need to worry about don't worry about all that it just magically appeared poof there's your t-shirt it's five bucks we're not <laughs> told all the other things because i know I'll, with a lot of my friend i'm the hippie in my friend group they they just they don't know they just don't know and it's not because they're trying to be purposefully ignorant it's just that it was just never something they thought they should know about mm-hmm. and now that it's all coming up and it's I'm glad it's starting to become more of a presence in a consumer's decision-making process. Right. Yeah. And one of the things that helps is businesses that tell us the stories, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, So anything else uh, you'd want to touch on when it comes to, I guess, just creating that culture of sustainability in the workplace or even practices, you know, we can implement um, if we're the low man on the totem pole and we want to just start (laughs) climbing a little bit, trying to push that needle. Um, Either either one of you have any, any more comments or ideas on, on that topic? (laughs) I just want to know if you ever think we'll be able to get to a circular economy. It's a good question. Have we been linear for too long? (laughs) <laughs> we have been linear for a very very long time haven't we mm-hmm. i think we can make a lot of progress i'm not sure exactly what the end game would look like but like, let, let me put it this way i don't think we're short of money i don't think we're short of technology i don't think we're short of information if we were short of money we wouldn't throw away about 30% of the food that we grow. If we were short of money, we would not be putting roughly 150 million tons of plastic every year into the sea. So I don't really think we're short of money, right? No. I don't think we're short (laughs) of technology, right? Because Mm -hmm. this year we're celebrating 50 years since we first trod on the moon. And we did that with less processing power (laughs) than the phone in your pocket. So we're not short of technology, right? Yeah. And I don't think we're short of information. The one thing I think we're short of is much, much more skill in how we organize ourselves. And that's just down to us. It's not things external to us. It's internal to us. So will we get there? I'm not sure what the end point looks like, but we can do an awful lot better today. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. There are some countries doing a better job than others, I think. Uh, You see a lot of inspiring stories coming out from other countries that are moving, you know, towards that, I think. But I don't know that anyone's fully there yet. And in a country as large as, you know, the U.S. or even Canada, it's going to take a lot to completely upturn the economic model that we have right now. But if we want the same quality of life for future generations, I think, you know, we definitely have to start talking about that and get more serious about it than we are now at every level. Business, government, individuals. Well, this has been uh, very 
inspiring and interesting. Um, what would you say to folks who maybe work at an organization or work in a field that just doesn't embrace these things and maybe is looking to transition um, to do more of the type of work that you're doing or to do something in the sustainability field? Um, since you, I know you kind of transitioned from law to this. I don't know if you were practicing environmental law or what, but what was your experience kind of shifting to an entirely new field? And, and I guess what advice would you offer those folks or insight? <laughs> right. Um, I, would, I would probably say this, and I think it applies to work generally. I'd say whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do in your working life, try to make sure that you enjoy it because we tend to do best at the things that we enjoy. I think that would be probably the most important suggestion that I would make. So if environmental sustainability is what you think makes your heart sing, in whatever way you can, in whatever organization, you can do things to help make it happen. And oh, there's some pretty basic things that we can do. For example, waste less food, including in the workplace, waste less energy, and waste less water. We can all start simple. And those are pretty simple ways. And when you see improvement, when you can see you start to have an impact, that's a really great source of fulfillment. And then you can move things forward from there. But start simple and it quickly snowballs. And remember to enjoy yourself because when you enjoy yourself, your performance improves and other people around you see that and get inspired by it. But don't be afraid to start small. <laughs> Definitely. Great advice. Um, Chris, did you have any other questions or comments for for? Uh, Anything? Uh, yeah, just one question. Um, are there any uh, websites that you could point the regular person towards to sort of kickstart some of this or things that you find inspiring, books mm -hmm. or people? <laughs> Influencers. Um, yes. Look, there are, there are very, very many books and films that we can watch, but I think the most important thing that we can do to motivate us and to get inspiration is to spend time in nature because it is endlessly fascinating just to see the seasons, just to see the trees, just to see a tiny little insect. I think if all of us spent more time in nature, that would have the most incredible impact on the way we behave as individuals, as consumers, as families, as businesses. I think the, the starting point is just spend time in nature, mm -hmm. by a tree, by a plant, wherever it might be, even half an hour. Enjoy it. Have fun. That's awesome. great advice. <laughs> you in, you appreciate it more when you actually are around it and experience it, and then you want to do something about it, I think. so. And it's, oh, yeah. it's never boring. There's always, always something going on. Yeah. Even yeah, if sure. it's just the shape of a cloud that's changing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Watching critters do crazy things. Yep. 
and you see it with little children you know when when my daughters who are three and five they go outside within minutes they found <laughs> something really really interesting something absolutely amazing and the world around us really is so spend more time in nature and that will do a whole lot of good for humanity as well it needs Definitely. to be on a t-shirt <laughs> spend more time in time nature, in nature. <laughs> yes go outside like a walking billboard i do notice a huge difference in my attitude and just emotional well-being when i'm outside sure. more because mm-hmm. yeah it well, does that's... have a way of diff- diffusing your emotions your, your negative emotions so yeah that's right. a big reason why we moved where we where we are right now is to just surround ourselves we live um right on the shores of uh, Great Lake. So here in mm-hmm. Canada and it's been, yeah, every winter has been different. Every summer has been different. Yes. Yes. Every, it's so unpredictable, yeah. but it's been great for our kids to see just how diverse it all is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, Thomas, did you have anything else you wanted to add to the discussion or anything maybe we didn't touch on that you think is relevant? Jennifer, no, thank you very much. Just my thanks to you, my thanks to Chris, and uh, I really hope we get to discuss again before too long. It's been yeah. great, great sharing with you. Thank you. Yeah, this has been awesome, and and you gave us a lot to think about. So um, thank you for for giving us your time across the world, and and hopefully if if we have another conference next year, we'll get to see you again. <laughs> um, but really yeah, we'll so. chat we'll chat again before that. Um, All right, well, we're going to go ahead and move on now to our green life hack, which is something we do every episode where we talk about a product or practice or just something that we've discovered that we've started doing that helps us live a little greener life, um, helps us reduce our carbon footprint some. So, Chris, would you like to go first? Um, (laughs) uh, So I just this year, for whatever reason, I've gotten really into gardening. And I really, really like it. I didn't before. I had a professor in college who was very anti-lawn and kind of stuck with me because he, his big thing was he hadn't cut his lawn in three years. And there was an article written in the local paper about how great that was. And then like the next month it was an article about him, about his neighbors griping (laughs) that he hadn't cut his lawn in three months, uh, three years. Uh, But I really like it. It's really soothing. It's very rewarding. It's kind of like an instant gratification sort of thing. and it's been very interesting to also recall my education, but also find native plants that mm-hmm. will survive where we are. So, yeah, even if you can only do a little container, a little chia pet, chia pet. <laughs> we have a chia pet at home. We grow chia seeds. Even that, it's... it's they still make them. That amazes they still, me. They do still make them. Um, it's been really great. And it's also been great. I mean, we pay the kids, but... Uh, getting them weeding and getting them to know the different flowers and uh, shrubs and trees around where we are. That's awesome. I recently, I think I told you guys, you know, started my first actual raised garden this year Mm -hmm. and I'm starting to get, you know, stuff that I can harvest. So I've got some beans some strawberries tomatoes are coming in and I go out there every day and just look at it like a little kid, like what's there now? And it, I feel so get... stupid, but I'm just no, like, no, no. I talked to our apple trees. We're, we've got flowers this year. I'm so excited. We, have flowers. we didn't last year cause they were brand new, but this year I'm like, Oh, 
I was counting all the little possible flower buds. I'm like, how many apples is that going to be? Yeah, I got really excited. These are my next thing in the fall. Yeah. You're supposed to plant them here in the fall, and then they start in the spring. But, yeah, I've, I've got my eye on some spots. I want to put some fruit trees. So Awesome. Well, that's exciting. I can't wait to hear about what you're growing, what, what pops up, because, you know, not everything produces, but. When you come over. I can try their apples, maybe. Oh, they, they won't be ready to the fall. <laughs> okay, well, never mind. <laughs> um, Thomas, do you have a green life hack for us today? Yeah, um, I'm going to take this back to the workplace, you know. Okay. Um, so at work, the most important thing after Wi-Fi and air conditioning has got to be coffee, right? Okay. Yep. I don't know yep. about you, but... I've worked in places where we produce a lot of coffee grounds. And a few years ago, we started putting the coffee grounds in bags, taking them home, and using them as natural compost. That's awesome. So you're taking used coffee grounds out of the waste stream and putting them to work again. Now, you have to check which plants like coffee grounds because obviously they don't all like coffee grounds um but coffee grounds are a pretty good fertilizer full of nutrients and you stick them back into new growth out of waste that is a great idea i yeah, we actually used to call it, uh, sorry oh go ahead i'm just gonna finish and say we used to call it coffee grounds for growth oh that's cool <laughs> I actually just recently discovered that our local Starbucks um, will give you their coffee grounds or they have a sign up go. that says, if you want them for your garden, take them. So mm -hmm. I didn't know they did that. Uh, but if you live near a Starbucks and you want some coffee grounds, um, ask them, but they have to be used. They can't be, yes. you know, yeah. pre, tr not treated, um, pre-filtered coffee grounds because those can burn your plants up, I think, right? Um, you want they them to be have already been processed. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's awesome. And do you put the filters in there with it or do you just do the grounds? Um, we didn't. And the filters, they're just paper, right? So they'll biodegrade. Um, but it used to come out of the machine, just just the grounds. It's a different kind of machine. So we get oh, the okay. grounds um, in bags. Obviously, they have to be well sealed. They've got to be properly labeled. And you've got to follow the health and safety stuff, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, most importantly in the workplace, health and safety. But you can use used coffee grounds take them out of the workplace and use them in your garden at home or in your plant pots on the balcony or just in the kitchen, whatever. Yeah. It's a great idea. Great nutrients for your plants. Mm -hmm. um, well, my green life hack is sort of similar to what you've both mentioned. Um, we taking this back to the workplace um, last year, we had a business start in our area that does curbside compost pickup and, um, Michelle was actually on our show, the owner of that business, um, for our compost episode. But um, we're, I work for a chamber of commerce, so we approached her and said, hey, would you, you know, want to do a swap and um, give us a bucket every week in exchange for a membership? So that's what we did about a year ago, and we've been composting at work. Um, some days are harder than others because I have to kind of be the, the Nazi that looks in the trash can and yells at people <laughs> when they throw things away or just digs it out. I've been known to do that. But, um, yeah, we put our coffee grounds, our fruit peels and paper, you know, takes paper, cardboard, um, all that stuff. So slowly we've started, you know, composting at work and hopefully educating the folks there as to what can be composted and maybe they're taking that home with them. 
Um, so uh, if you have the ability to do that at your work, um, if you have a similar service or even someone that's willing to take the stuff home and make their own compost out of it, uh, that's, that's what I would suggest. So, Alrighty, guys. Well, thank you for a great show. Um, real quick, where can we find you guys online, Chris? You can find me here uh, and Marginally Geeky and Epically Geeky. And we just did a podcast on Friday. Rated. I didn't. I was <laughs> elsewhere. Um, and on Instagram at Cedar Birch Cottage. Awesome. Thomas, where can we find you online? Any pages you want to promote or? The easiest account? is LinkedIn. And I'm Thomas Jelly. Okay. And that's Jelly, J-E-L-L-E-Y. Correct? That's right. Okay. Um, and I can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Het's Gonna Be Me. Um, you can find the show on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, Facebook, and we are now also streaming on Pandora and Spotify, and that's uh, Sustainably Geeky. I almost said the wrong show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so look for us there, please. Subscribe if the option is available. Give us a five-star rating or, you know, like us, whatever is available. We really appreciate that. That helps the show get out there and um, helps more people find us. And, of course, uh, share away. Send us your show ideas and your topic recommendations if you're interested in being on. Um, we'd love to talk to you. Um, with that, we hope you all have a good evening. This has been a presentation of the Epically Geeky Network. 